Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to ADAPS Prevention 365 podcast. Prevention is every day and in every way. I'm so happy and fortunate to welcome my first guest, Nolan Shahid. Nolan Shahid, thank you so much for being here with us. Please, I'd like to give the floor to you. First hand off, and uh, we're just so excited to have you. Please tell us um, again your your name and who you are and uh, what your talents are about. Okay, I am glad to be here. I'm very excited about being here. Thanks for asking me. My name is Nolan Shahid. Uh, I am uh, basically and foremost a musician. I am a trumpet player, a professional trumpet player, I identify with being a studio musician, but my love isn't playing jazz trumpet. But being a studio musician, I play it, uh, I play it all. And I'm also uh, a world-class uh, master's track and field athlete with wow. several world records uh, under my belt. And I've been very fortunate enough to, to be able to um, uh, excel in the two fields that I really love, music and track and field. Incredible, incredible, Nolan. Tell, tell us more about uh, who you've performed with. I also have some uh, really awesome inside information that I got from my husband, Frederick Keith Fidmont, that he shared with me. But tell us, tell us who you have performed with. This, this is really something. Well, I have been very, very fortunate in my career to have performed with some of the people that I always dreamt about and that I idolized. People like uh, uh, Count Basie. I uh, performed with Count Basie and was on the road with him for a while, for a long time. I also did uh, Duke Ellington. I played with um, uh, Lionel Hampton. I played with um, Eddie Harris, great jazz musicians, another great jazz musician. And on the pop side, uh, my first gig was with Aretha Franklin. I also toured wow. with uh, uh, Marvin Gaye as his musical director. I toured with Stevie Wonder. I toured with Natalie Cole. Amazing. Uh, I toured with uh, Diana Ross, Phil Collins, and um, several others. I've been very fortunate to uh, to have been in a position where basically all my dreams have come true. So amazing, Nolan. Wow. Now hearing the list from you, Keith, Keith told me a few. Of course, he told me that you, uh, I guess you were one of the first with Stevie Wonder. Is that right? Well, I played with Stevie Wonder in the... Uh, 80s, the early 80s. Early 80s. Uh, and uh, but by that time, he was already famous. He had several records already out. Right. I, uh, and to this day, I don't like going out on the road because it's not as fun as it used to be. However, if yeah. Stevie called me, I would I would drop everything and everything. only go with Stevie. He's the only one that I think could get me off of my uh, comfortable chair and go play. Right. Yeah. You know what songs, uh, by the way, side note, Nolan, I love, I love Rocket Love ah, and, and As. Oh, that will take me, ah. that take me somewhere. I transcend. <laughs> well, you know, Sammy, I love the fact that you love As because the word As was only mentioned once in the song. Everybody thinks that the name of the song is always. Right. Yeah, what a great song and what a great uh, arrangement that Stevie did. Yeah, no, that one, for some reason, like my sister-in-law's song, um, You Are Loved, always makes me weep. It just hits yeah. the core. 
<laughs> right, I can't control it. <laughs> wow, that's, that's so good. beautiful. That's so beautiful, Nolan. Yeah, and when we were walking, Keith told me, you were the first one, I have to plug this in, that gave my husband his job, and that means his first meal to eat in the city. Nolan, I can't tell you, you know, I just love you. What else can I say? <laughs> well, well, for those who don't know who Keith Fitman is, Keith Fitman is one of the best musicians in this country. He's a saxophone player, he's a reed player, but specializes in the tenor sax. He's a great musician. And when I first heard him, I was blown away because although LA has produced a lot of great, great saxophone players, when Keith came in, everyone stopped and said, who is this guy? He came in from the East Coast. So he was already incredible, uh, just coming from where he came from. So uh, I'm just glad to be able to say he's my friend and I know him. You know, I, I'm happy to be a friend of Keith Fitbox. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be his friend too. And he's the one actually who told me, if you need an athlete, you got to call Nolan Rahima. What are you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. Well, before, that's so cool, um, Nolan. Before we go forward, I just want to, you know, give a little bit about your background. I love your studio. And then I want to share a little bit about my background that I have here for our listeners and viewers. Nolan, tell us about these beautiful paintings in your studio. I love it. Well, if my camera was more movable, I would show, I've got a wonderful picture of, uh, of uh, Marvin Gaye that I think you can see in the background. Yes. Marvin Gaye uh, um, was responsible, and those who know me and who know me well know that, um, that I have never ever taken any drugs or any type of enhancement in my life. And I owe that all to Marvin Gaye. Maybe we can get into that later. But I owe that to Marvin Gaye because I was right in the height of being in a situation where everybody was doing everything. And Marvin loved me and he gave me uh, uh, something that maybe we can talk about later that uh, kept me from doing things that I would have regretted. And so I have a big photograph, not a big portrait, a painting of Marvin Gaye. Next to Marvin Gaye is my favorite musician. Dizzy Gillespie, you can't see that too well, but Dizzy Gillespie is up there. And I've got a nice, wonderful painting of Sarah Vaughn. Sarah Vaughn was supposed to have come over and signed it, but you know how you keep procrastinating and it's like, oh, I'll be over there. I go, okay, you can come over sometime. And then <laughs> I know she had passed away and it's like, oh no, oh. she never got a chance to come over and see her, oh. her portrait and, and autograph it. But, uh, and mm. I've got others, but those are the three that I, I, I really enjoy having in my studio. Beautiful, yes. And on that note, may Sarah Vaughn rest in eternal peace. That's just a, such a special uh, piece you have there, uh, Nolan. You know, um, thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, I love different, you know, musician studios. I've been to several, you know, because of Keith and my sister-in-law. It just, it's so beautiful. It's so powerful to see like where, you know, it's almost like, where the it's like the core it's like you know the um it's like the lifeline for yeah. a musician it's so powerful to be in it's sacred to me when i go inside yes beautiful beautiful very much you know my background here definitely nothing like yours but um my boss and i paulina hong um my wonderful boss she, we were trying to find a nice backdrop <laughs> um 
Nolan, for you. And it's my boss actually that chose this Pasadena area. So tell us a little bit. You mentioned to me something. I'd love for our listeners and readers, especially Paulina, to hear about this. That is a great bridge. And under the bridge is our jogging path where I jog all of the time. I'll probably be there today. And See? when I first saw the, uh, the portrait, I thought you were psychic because I said, she's going to come on the air with a, a, a photograph of where I jog all of the time. It's in Pasadena, uh, uh, south of the Rose Bowl, and south of Brookside Park. It's a beautiful area to run. And I run there all the time. It's very serene. And you can tell how beautiful it is. And uh, Gorgeous. That's a great bridge. It's right next to Suicide Bridge. That's a different story. story. I don't think we'll go there, but yes, all kudos kudos to Paulina. She picked this beautiful area and so glad to have it as uh, my backdrop. So good. We're kind of matching in that way. And I love that. Nolan, let's proceed um, with some of the questions and um, really excited. So I want to start with first. Uh, tell us about yourself. I'd, I'd like to uh, for you to share more about, you know, your musicianship and, of course, your athletic talents and when you discovered your gifts. Please, okay. share with us. Well, first of all, I was born in Pasadena, California uh, in 1949, which makes me uh, almost 72 years old or young, however you want to look at it. <laughs> I grew up here. I went to Pasadena Christian School. Uh, uh, then I went to Jamie High School, where I learned how to play the trumpet. No, actually, I went to Washington Junior High School. And while I was at Washington Junior High School, I heard a trumpet on the radio. I think it was Louis Armstrong. I asked my parents, I said, can I play oh. the trumpet? Because I want to play like that guy. And so my parents, yeah. they didn't even hesitate. They just said yes. So they went down to a place called Barry and Grosnick's, which was the music studio. They bought me a kind director for $127. It was a great trumpet, beginning trumpet. And I started playing that trumpet and I played and I got really, really into the trumpet. And I knew after about six months that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And uh, I was the last chair in the trumpet section because I started half semester but by the uh, end of the first semester, I was second chair. And the next year, I, uh, I started taking lessons from a guy named Bob Riffhauer, who uh, is one of the greatest men in my life outside of my father. He's a, uh, he's a great man who's had a lot of influence on me. He taught me not only the trumpet, but other things in life. And from him, I started getting better and better and better. And so the trumpet was pretty much all that mattered to me. When I got into high school, uh, I uh, uh, went to John Muir High School and I started playing the trumpet in the band. I loved that. That was my my love, playing in that band and in the boys club band. The Pasadena Boys yeah. Club Band was one of the best boys club bands in the country. And that was one of the best bands, period, in the country for boys. Uh, it was great. So I had a lot of musical stuff. Uh, my first year in high school, I decided to run track because I always was fast. We would always uh, run sprints. When I went to, to elementary school, I was the second fastest kid in the school. The first fastest kid was a guy named Ricky. I can't think of his last name. I was the second fastest. But I was also the only black kid in the whole, from the first grade to sixth grade, 
I was the only black kid in my class. When I got to junior high school, it was, uh, it seemed like it was predominantly black, although I don't think it was, but it, it seemed like it was because I was so thirsty to be around my own people. And mm-hmm. I ran a lot of people who had the same, uh, 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 things that I had that, that excited them. And one was track and field. So I wasn't the fastest in, uh, in this school, but I was amongst the fastest. But I used to always be everybody around the block. So my first year in high school, I was playing trumpet in the band and in the boys club band, and, and I loved it. Uh, but I was also on the track team. And because of my grades not being as good as they should have been, my father took me out of track. And the next year, my trumpet playing wasn't that strong, and I didn't know why. So I told my trumpet teacher, last year, I was playing better. I was stronger. I was hitting high notes, and I don't know what's going on. He said, last year, you were running track. And that's probably what it was. If you were to run, maybe you would uh, uh, play uh, better on your trumpet. So I started running on my own. And when I started running on my own, sure enough, my trumpet playing got better and better. And then I thought, wow, this is great because the trumpet was the only thing I was interested in. But the faster I ran, the better my trumpet got. And it became to be where I was running basically to make my trumpet better. But I was beating all the guys who used to beat me because I was really running hard and running very fast. So when I got into college, I found out that I was a, a, a very, I was a good runner. And I was uh, yeah. uh, uh, doing really good in the running, and I was a good trumpet player. So I, I was very blessed in those two realms. That's incredible. You know, I can't help but remember um, Nolan when I was in high school. You know, I went to uni, but it was in the sense not at your level. But I was running cross country on the uni, oh, great. yeah, cross country track team. Now, granted, I wasn't at the very front of them all, right? But, but. That that kind of structure and, you know, that we were, you know, a lot of the women, young women, we would get together and we would just be in synchronicity. It, it really, um, it really, I have to say, it empowered me. It, strangely enough, I was quite shy when I first started, uh-huh. like in 10th grade. But uh-huh. with that running, Nolan, it just, it did something. So I can, I can really relate. I can really, really relate. Hey, to beautiful. Very, beautiful. very nice. Very nice. That is so interesting. Um, so, but I'm curious, so Nolan, thinking about this, so like your love for the music, you know, really started to bloom in high school, but how did that like first, you know, that first gig start? What, what was that process? Well, uh, that's an interesting question. My trumpet teacher always had me geared up to be the best I could. When I was in high school, my trumpet mm. teacher uh, said, what do you want to do in music? Because back then it was only classical music, you know. Uh, yes. It would not allow jazz to be played in the Pasadena yes. music uh, system in high school. There's a guy named yes. Dr. Green who I wanted. So I didn't know anything about jazz, really. All I knew was classical music. And I was going to be a classical musician because I was very, very good at it. The only problem right. is I would go out to see the LA field, I would see the Met, and I would see all these great orchestras, and I would not see one black person there. So that was very discouraging. 
And then it became to be a realization that no matter how good I became on the trumpet, I wasn't going to be able to work. And when a boy realizes that, it's devastating because that's the thing that meant more to me than anything else. And so I realized I wasn't going to get an opportunity. But I had a white friend named Ty Newcomb. And Ty Newcomb was really into jazz. And he said, hey, man, you know anything about jazz? And I said, no. He said, man, you got to check out jazz, man. You got to check out Clifford Brown. And so uh, I checked out Clifford Brown and Dizzy Gillespie, and I was like, wow, this is crazy. This is what I wanted to do. So my trumpet teacher asked me, what what do you want to do? So I told him, uh, I want to be a a musician, but what is the highest paid musician? He said uh, that studio musicians make all of the money. Studio musicians make more money than anybody. So I said, I want to be a studio musician. So he trained me to be able to play everything, to be able to read uh, great so that you can read anything. You never have to uh, be ashamed that you can't execute something because of uh, lack of being able to have skills in reading. He uh, taught me how to play the high notes so I could play the lead trumpet if I wanted to. He taught me how to play all the other parts, how to chrome uh, uh, um, my craft, hone my craft so that I can play anything that I wanted to play, whether it be classical, whether it be cartoon music, which is the most difficult music there is in the world, or jazz, big band, combo. He taught me everything. So um, the first gig I got, the first gig I got was actually with um, Aretha Franklin. And uh, Mm -hmm. uh, H.P. Barnum, H.P. Barnum was conducting. And I was a young kid, it was my first, really professional gig. And uh, I got there early. And I remember walking in, there was no one else in the room. So I went right to the lead trumpet chair and I uh, uh, opened it up and I started uh, looking at the parts and I said, this is nothing, I can play all this. And then when the guy started coming in, there was a guy, and I'm not giving any names, but he was like the lead cat in town. And he was coming yeah. to the start, but I was sitting in his chair. And I was supposed to know who he was, but I was very young and I, I, I didn't know. So I was just sitting there and they started the, the, uh, the music and I'm playing those parts. And I remember right. HB, HB stopped the orchestra and he said, who's playing lead trumpet? And the other guy said, he's doing it, he's playing it. And he said, <laughs> HB said, you're doing a fantastic job. That's very good. And- uh, No surprise. <laughs> so that made me feel really good and I had the confidence. The other guy didn't, he never spoke to me again. Anyway, to make a long story short, that was my introduction to uh, being in a a professional capacity. And from then, uh, Ernie Fields was a great contractor, was there. George Mahanan, great contractor, was there. And they started contracting recording sessions for me. So I became a studio musician as a result of that gig. And uh, I never stopped. My first really big jazz gig uh, was with uh, actually with Count Basie. I was still young, but I played uh, a lead in the Count Basie Orchestra. And that was a, a great, great experience, a great experience for me. Wonderful. That is so wonderful. Gosh, Nolan. Yeah, that, um, I, I love what you also said, you know, just being there early uh, since I, you know, known Keith, he's always told me just, get there early, no matter what it is. 
it makes such a big impression. Uh, yeah. My CEO also had to teach me that too. But I think over these years, I've really, you know, come to really um, respect that and embrace that. And also it's respecting others, isn't it, Nolan? Yes, yes. It really is. It's very serious element there. That is so incredible what, what you've uh, shared, uh, Nolan, you know, how you got your first gig and gosh, these, um, these are icons in the industry. And it's so amazing. Absolutely amazing. You know, with with um, success, many times there are also struggles. I'm I'm curious. I'd like to know what some of the struggles um, that you may have had and encountered on your journey. Is there anything you can you can share with us about that? Well, you know, something that's a, a very good question. I'm really glad you asked. You know, from my perspective, uh, all my life, everything has been a struggle. You know, I'm not the most um, eloquent guy in the world. I always lisped and stuttered, and uh, people had to always say, huh. I had to, to uh, struggle just to uh, uh, make myself understood all my life. I was also very thin. I was very shy coming up. Uh, it, I, it was always a struggle for me. Um, I went to an all-white school. The kids were great, but the staff was horrible to me. And they tried to make me think I was stupid. They tried to make me think that I was dumb. And this was in the 50s, remember. And yeah. um, and being taught from a Southern parentage that I should respect my elders, I tried to respect these people, but they were teaching me that I was very uh, stupid. So everything has been a struggle. Playing the trumpet, uh, even when I was in high school, I used to practice eight hours a day because it was a struggle to be the best. And when I started running, I wanted to be the best. And, and that's a struggle. And from my perspective, life in itself, everything that is worth gaining, everything that is worth uh, uh, comprehending or uh, uh, worth uh, uh, mastering is a struggle. So I don't see anything as being a particular struggle because if you want something you will struggle together if you want to be strong and have big muscles you will pick something up and you will put it down you will pick it up and you will put it down if you keep doing that struggle you have big muscles if you want to be smart and intelligent you have to pick up a book you have to read it put it down pick up another one you have to read it and if you do this enough times you will be uh, uh intelligent if you want to be a good trumpet player man you got to practice everything, the tonguing, the flexibility, the uh, uh, the reading, everything, it's a struggle. If you want to run, you got to do, uh, uh, I run 10 miles a day and I'm 72 years old, but you got to do it if you want to be the best. You got to do mileage, you got to do speed yeah. work, you got to do uh, weight training, you got to stretch, it's a struggle. That's why I find it very disheartening when I hear someone who's on a certain job are certain jobs and they say something like, um, uh, uh, oh, this is a struggle. Well, it's supposed to be a struggle if that's what you want to do. Like for instance, if, it's, if a person said, uh, uh, I had to shoot this guy because I was fearful of my life. Uh, that to me is like, you shouldn't be on that job because it's a struggle to be into law enforcement. It's a struggle. And you have to go into that knowing that your life is going to be in danger and that something's going to happen. Of course, you don't want to put yourself in a position 
where you get shot. But you have to struggle to be able to see every side. You have to be able to see this person's life is important. I can't just end this person's life unless I get all of the facts. If you are a soldier, as I have been in the United States Army, or if you're in law enforcement, you can't say Thank I was you fear, you can't say you can't say I was fearful of my life because that is part of the job. So life in itself is a struggle, and I embrace that struggle. And to me, it's not an extra struggle. It's what I'm supposed to do to be successful. Hundred percent, Nolan. That was. That just fueled me with so much energy. I didn't know whether to scream or hit the desk or cry. I was just all in, all in it. Nolan, that is so, so true. My goodness. Um, yeah, we could, we could really go deep into this, but we're gonna, we're gonna keep it moving because it's okay. so interesting. Uh, I'm, you know, with with you sharing all of this, it really leads into my next question, and. I, I want to ask you, uh, piggybacking from what you just said, um, many of our clients, uh, Nolan, as you know, we've shared before um, the podcast today, I, I explained to you how ADAP, we are, um, you know, we have clients and they come to us to change their lifestyle, change their behaviors, many times to really become healthy, reconnect with their family, reconnect with themselves reconnect with the outside world to be self-sufficient and not just sober, but in recovery and yes. long-term as well. I wanna know, what can you share, Nolan, with our clients about for our clients who do come to ADAP to change their lives? I think the most important thing is you have to know who you are and how you got into the situation that you're in. But first of all, you got to know who you are. Now, I was very fortunate because I learned uh, who I was. I am a person who has a very addictive personality. I'm very addictive. Uh, uh, anyone who practices this trumpet eight hours a day, and I'm being serious about this, and anyone yes. who runs uh, 10 miles a day, you know, and you know, I, don't eat every day. I eat three meals a week, you know, and they're regular sized meals. So I found out at an early age, well, early for me in my 20s, that I have a very addictive personality. And I have no mm -hmm. business doing anything that's going to um, um, put me out of my regular self. So a lot of times there are great people, great people who are great because they have an addictive personality. They're very great because they can sit down and do something for hours and hours that most people can't do. You know, it's not only an addictive personality, but it's, it's a, um, a blessing, something that, that you have that a lot of people can't do. So a lot of times, if a person has a personality like me uh, and they're involved in something that can be addictive in a way that's not progressive, yes. then those who are the uh, uh, judgmental people of the world try to look down upon them. 
instead of saying, well, this person has a personality and I understand where this person is coming from. And before you know it, you with your personality uh, become ashamed of the personality that you have and you're not realizing that it's a blessing that you have. You got something that most people wish they could do. Yeah. Only you got uh, in a situation where it could be uh, destructive. So first of all, you've got to know who you are and how you got into that position. And then you got to make sure that those around you who are your friends understand who you are so they can help you in your journey. I remember when I was coming up in the 60s, mid 60s, there was a president of the United States whose wife was a drunk, she was an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And she started a program that was a great program that was uh, letting people know that alcohol addiction is not something uh, that can be criminalized. It right. is something that is uh, a medical problem that should be dealt with that way. Sure. And that was good. The president after this president came up with a program that had a, what they call a war on drugs. And no matter what you do, it was bad, and this was alcohol. But that was everybody right. who wasn't doing alcohol. And if you were in a situation where you were poor, you were broke, you were uh, 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 treated poorly, sometimes maybe getting a little high is in your eyes the only way to, to get over that. And maybe it's a temporary thing, but people would down upon it because they don't understand. And then all of a sudden you're in a situation where everybody thinks you are the bad guy and you're not, you're not the bad guy. So, you know, the situation, your personality, the general uh, acknowledgement of, of, of what you do has got to be seen in your eyes as just something that happened. And you can get out of it if you take it one step at a time. And everybody uh, who really tries, everybody can have what it takes to be better. You just have to you know, get, put yourself away from those naysayers, away from the people who don't understand. And put yourself around the people who understand and who have your best interests at, at heart. Then you can you can overcome everything. You can be great. And because you were this or that at one time doesn't mean you can't be great uh, at another time. Your life ahead of you is more important than the life behind you. To all of our Prevention is Every Day and Every Way listeners, please tune in next week to hear the rest of the interview with Nolan Shahid. Thank you for listening and thank you for spreading the word about ADAPS Prevention 365 podcast. See you then. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.